Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 137 today. Uh, we're going to be talking about recent science news and discoveries. Uh, so, I mean, I, I retweet a lot of stuff on Twitter, um, different articles and updates and different science alerts and things of that nature. And people send me emails saying they appreciate them and stuff like that. So I figured let's just do an episode where we talk about some of them and go through the list. And I just went through my history and pulled a bunch of cool ones out and uh we're gonna be doing that stay in touch with the current event type things and uh don't forget to subscribe to our channel hit the like button um if you are listening on an audio platform please subscribe leave us a nice review and uh, check out our website mindescapepodcast.com and also you can support our show by going to patreon at patreon.com slash mind escape podcast we have exclusive episodes on there for just two dollars a month and maurice and i are also working on possibly making some t-shirts and some merch and uh maybe even selling some of maurice's artwork on our uh website as well yeah if anybody has any suggestions for shirts leave a comment below and we might take it into consideration and we might not (laughs) um but yeah so but here we go. Let's get into it now. Um, so the first one I want to get to here uh, is one that I posted the other day. Some of these are a little bit older. They're probably all within the last, I don't know, three or four months, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a bunch more, too, so maybe we'll do this every other week or something. But um, Yeah, this will never end. <laughs> So the brain builds structures in 11 dimensions. Uh, A Swiss research team called the Blue Brain Project has been trying to build a computer model of the human brain. Um, They've been using algebraic topology uh, to discover that our brains build these structures in 11 dimensions. So, um, you know, this some would say that uh, your mind goes to the thought that maybe there's more than meets the eye now. And, uh-huh. uh, but th- this is based off of like a three, um, the three spatial dimensions that we have and then time being the fourth dimension and then like seven mathematical, um, non-spatial dimensions. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's interesting, but at the same time, it's like, it's not the, the woo we want, right? Yeah. I mean, we want there to be more spatial dimensions, and not that I, don't, I think that science is pretty sure that 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 doesn't exist. But as you'll see by going through these different articles, there's a few things that just don't line up either. When you're talking about like the model of the universe and how we don't know some things, and um, it seems like they try and use math to kind of fill in the gaps. So my question would be to somebody that, that really knows what they're doing, whether it be a mathematician or a physicist or somebody that uses mathematics to prove a lot of their stuff um, how accurate is it and could it be wrong because it seems like you could try and fit some things into different 
holes or parts that maybe don't fit, but you make it work, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I would like to know if I was going to ask somebody. Well, we already know that in a hundred years from now we're going to look back and be and laugh at our at our stuff. So right, we we talk about that all the time. But yeah, no, I mean that's that's all they can really do right now is to try and fill in the gaps to the best of their abilities. But you talk about well, we'll we'll, we'll get there in a minute here. Uh, they found that neurons connect um, or group up in these and they create these little clicks. Um, some went up to seven dimensions and they even found some that went to 11 dimensions. So, um, it's like the way that these neurons like bunch up in a certain type of, uh, way than that they interact with each other. Right. Um, and the extra dimensions are not, again, they're not spatial dimensions. They are abstract mathematical spaces. So, so the, yeah, what is, what the bottom right there, if you're watch if you're looking at this slideshow, um, there is a uh, algebraic topology uh, or a, um, a little figure there. It's called a torus, T-O-R-U-S. And it looks like if you ever see the model that of the universe is like a donut when they show that, that's exactly yeah. kind of what a torus is. So, And uh, we have roughly up to 86 billion neurons. I think that's the recent count. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. But it's interesting when you think about the brain and how we keep, you know, going back and forth on these different things and consciousness and obviously scientists are trying to prove consciousness via material or your brain matter or interactions within your your body. Uh, But we do also know, like I just read an article the other day that you can't trust the fMRI scans from like the last however many years because there's been studies that tried to like correlate different parts of the brain to different functions and they realized through this study that people use different parts of their brains for these different functions so it's not consistent throughout people in general so you can't really apply that if it's not it doesn't apply to everybody so yeah that's the thing every every hypothesis they have with the brain doesn't always apply so then they have to go back to the drawing board what do you uh so what do you think about this though i mean that's you know like you know what i think bro (laughs) i think think we're receiving a a transmission that doesn't end when the brain shuts off and i mean we can look to some of these out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences where the brain has actually been pronounced dead but these people are still living to some degree Mm -hmm. so what's going on there again you know, they well, try and there was that article out it. there too that like uh, you may be aware that you're dead for like up to a certain amount of time after you've died somehow. Um, I don't know what they attribute that to. Maybe not all. Yeah, but what if time only applies to an actual living being, and when you pass away, yeah, you might be only alive for a minute, but that minute might be eternity because you have no actual physical body anymore that's using time to decay. Hmm. I mean. Again, that that but that's still predicated on when all systems shut off. Is does does it go somewhere? You know, like, does your consciousness go somewhere, or does it just die with the body? Or are you conscious yeah. for a little bit after, like you're saying, and maybe you're you're stuck in that loop or whatever? So, I don't well, know. I think science has a bad way of looking at everybody as an individual. Or uh, you know, like I respect people as individuals, but I'm talking about when you actually die, you might be absorbed back into the main 
to uh, oneness with the universe, if you will. So again, all this materialistic stuff always kind of filters down into this whole agenda, if you will, of what they want people to believe that they're all individuals and then like all things are like the world you see around you is the only world that exists. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in the way I think about these things, if you've been paying attention recently is I don't know what to think. I, I want to believe obviously who doesn't, who doesn't want uh, this to continue. And I think if you asked most people what their greatest fear is, it's death. Because death is the right. the great unknown. Nobody knows what happens when you die. People oh, for sure. people have died, obviously, and had near death experiences. Those people have something to say about it. But other than that, there's no way to actually prove one way or the other. So that's why that idea stuck so hard. We, me and Michael have been talking about doing a documentary on near death experiences, and I think it's a, a really good idea because I think it would inject some hope into people again we've talked about this when you believe that your life ends at death and there's nothing more and there's no purpose that has an effect on the way you live your life i'm not saying everybody's going to go out and start robbing stores and committing massive crimes but again that that kind of thought pattern seems to lead more towards a depressed type of person yeah so actually uh, in socrates had something to say about that too in the sense that um when you don't have anything to believe in so like the this when the sophists came along even though socrates was lumped in with the sophists we've talked about that on our ancient greece uh philosophy episodes um he he actually wasn't he just he didn't receive pay and he wasn't doing it just to help people win arguments using rhetoric etc but he did want to teach people and he taught people by asking them questions that would force them you know the socratic method force them to learn more uh, but his point on when you don't have faith, faith is about, when you when you don't believe in anything anymore or have purpose, telos, teleology, um, then things become very morally and ethically unstable. Um, yeah, and I think you see that a little bit in the world right now. Everybody, there's chaos everywhere because. Um, well, there's a lot of reasons, obviously. Yeah, um, a lot of stuff's hitting the fan. But uh, in terms of you look at religion is no longer a thing. So what's the transition for human beings now that people are, are rejecting religions uh, across the board pretty much? I mean, there's still a lot mm-hmm. of religious people out there, but um, I would say the mainstream is not very you know, religious at all. So and I think you see a spiritual movement happening too and – that's cool. I would consider myself personally spiritual. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't identify with like a religion, but just having that one thing to believe in some, some higher power, um, kind of keeps you accountable. Yeah. Well, it definitely makes your life worth living to a, to a degree. Again, you have your Neil deGrasse Tyson's who are very hard on the materialistic world and they still seem to find a reason to be around, but, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting and slippery slope. Yeah, so. I would agree. I, actually, some of the older Neil deGrasse, he's just very excited. You know, he's got a good vibe yeah. to him. But his recent, most recent Joe Rogan one, he did. <laughs> he talked. Guys. He, he was talking over Joe Rogan the whole time, and it was like it was almost unbearable to listen to because Joe would try to ask a question, he'd talk over him. And he just oh, wanted I remember to, that. He one. just wanted yeah, to hear yeah. his own voice. I think it was actually it was like right after he came back from all those allegations uh, that were against him with all that stuff so 
who knows if he was trying to prove a point or he was just not used to media appearances. I mean, I don't know what's going on there, but, um, but yeah, so I think that that's an interesting one, but again, it's not really, it's not really that, uh, it's kind of just an update of where they're going with it. Right. No, it's not, no breakthrough here, but we'll, we'll keep in touch with that and we'll see what happens over the next couple of years. Again, I think, the time we're living in, I think there it's an exciting time, especially for some of the stuff that we're doing. Uh, but in my vision, I, I feel like we are, we were doing this for a reason that we were drawn to do this. I think you had more of an awakening before me and now I'm kind of catching up to you as far as getting into some of the, these, You'll never uh, catch up, bro. I got years ahead of you now, bro. Hey, I tried, for- I tried to bring you in under my wing dog and you just, you sank. But now that's you're fine. Flying, I might not now, have. I might caca caca. But now you're flying, so that's all that matters. No, I'm but just no, joking. I'm, I might never have the. Re- I might never never have the, the the complete knowledge as you. But as far as the vibration, I think that's that's what it's because <laughs> we used to, I used to say it all the time. Like we're only vibrations and this and that. And I did believe we're it. We're gonna but... get a shirt made with Maurice's face. It says Mister Vibrations <laughs> on it. Um, this guy in I vibration. Feel the vibration. This guy in vibrations lately. Um. So this one is an interesting one. I want to make a point about this one. So this was a headline or there was, you know, all these different science outlets and media outlets and online outlets. They all have like kind of the same title, but it's varying a little bit. It varies in a little bit of ways, you know, uh, but it's the science uh, scientists reverse the arrow of time in quantum computers. So, or in a quantum computer. So, that sounds like awesome. That sounds like, oh, we hacked time or we can go back or there's a time machine yeah. or simulated or whatever. Um, and a lot of uh, news and, again, media outlets, they have they use these, like, sensationalized or sexy ha- headlines. And they use titles like scientists have reversed time or quantum computer used to reverse the arrow of time, stuff like that. Uh, but then there's other, there's other places I go after that. So then I go to... Um, this you know for this one i went to the mit tech review so um and again not all of these uh are like that but they're trying to get clicks obviously so um the mit tech review they broke it down as again that this is sensationalized and the arrow of time was not really reversed nor are we any closer to building some sort of time machine um and what mit the, or what the article was saying was that a good analogy for what they did figure out would be to like imagine a movie or a clip and then play it in reverse. And then um, what they really did was some quantum computing version of that, um, which is cool. Uh, and another analogy would be to reverse the dispersal of light, like when you're focusing a lens. So like when you focus a lens, like doing the the reverse of that is kind of what this was. Yeah. Wasn't there some scientist in like Antarctica that I thought I thought I read something about him being able to reverse time? There was some kind of activity where like because he was at a certain location, you know what I'm talking about at all? I mean, can you pull it up? No, I'll 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 stop talking about it today. Maybe we can pull it up for next time. I'll find more information about it. Okay. Um Yeah, I mean, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Sometimes there's some some juicy little tidbits that squeak through after you read about all the misery, but yeah. that's what we're here for, ladies and gentlemen, to, to to get some good vibes out there. Every way, every every like time we come back, you go at the very end. You're like, well, but we're gonna get to that later. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll come back to that, folks. 
I like it. You're like our Segway guy. Um, what else did it say? Uh, okay, this, yeah, this study and research would be used to help test quantum programs of the future. So it's not even really that helpful. I mean, I guess that's kind of cool if you're into quantum program testing, but. Well, I think that because they're, you know, these computers are such, so fast, they're going to be able to crunch enough information to really understand why the universe works. Right. So we'll see. I don't know if that, that answer lies digitally but we'll find out I you were gonna say the middle i was gonna say we're gonna make a <laughs> bunch of maury shirts oh shit yeah yeah this thing i love that you get to rip on me but <laughs> you can rip on me go ahead no it's cool shit. i put myself out that's the that's you did the... remember i i ripped on myself with the you know the you knows oh yeah i i do remember that but no before i was a little i was a little more apprehensive of putting myself out there now that i actually feel like I, I'm connected to this new thing. I'm I'm just going to be myself and put it out there. And if yeah, people like it, they like it. You know what I'm saying? Vibrations are connected to the universe, dude. Come on. Yeah. Vibrations. <laughs> scientists, no, scientists detect large structures near the Earth's core. Um, so this one was spread around pretty good. I saw it all over online. Um, and it kind of ties into... Um, the super volcano episode we did and also the tidal forces episode we did with uh chris uh from dabbler's den and geophysicists at the university of maryland use sound and seismic waves traveling through the earth to detect large structures between the molten core and the solid mantle layer um so you can pull this up online for a visual i was looking for a good picture but i mean with all the uh you got to be careful what you put up on YouTube these days. They take down stuff for no reason. So yeah. Uh, okay. So these hot, dense structures were found under, like, by the core, by where like Hawaii and the Marquesas Islands are. Uh, and the study was focused around the Pacific Ocean basin. So they're saying that there's these very hot, dense structures that are. Uh, in between the core and the mantle by where Hawaii and the Marquesas Islands are. So we're talking about uh, a lot of magma, a lot of hot spot action. Well, that makes sense because Hawaii is just a bunch of volcanic rock piling up. Right. Uh, the data was compiled from 1990 to 2008 and consisted of more than 7,000 wow. seismographs with a magnitude of 6.5 or higher found around the Pacific Ocean Basin. Uh, they used a machine learning algorithm named Sequencer to analyze the data. Um, so yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, that's a lot of a lot of seismographs. So um, now I wonder too if that's something. Is that been looked into around the world, or is this like the first place, or is you know what I'm saying? Because this is actually kind of in the Ring of Fire area. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they kind of zoned into that area, knowing how Hawaii is, and they're figuring, let's go as deep as we can and see what's going on down there. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's that seems... Uh, and like we, we mentioned before, too, when Chris was on during the Tidal Forces episode, and we talked a little bit about the supervolcano. They don't know what the exact mechanism is for these hot spots, like what causes them, um, you know... Where where did they come from? That kind of there's ideas, obviously, but 
Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Um, they found echoes on 40% of the seismic wave paths. So when they send a, you know the signal out, they wait for it to come back. Um, and it, I think they said they found, yeah, 40% of them uh, came back. The patch that they found, or the patch of uh, the hotspots here, that was said, they said it was very dense and very hot, and it gave off unusually loud echoes. So I don't know. I'm not... Uh, so it's not it's not hollow in there. No. I mean, if it's loud, I would. Well, I would assume the 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 more loud it is, would the more solid something is in there is what I would say. Yeah, it would come back stronger because right. you'd have more of a solid base to ricochet off of. Right. You would think you're not losing again. Well, I'm no expert here. Well, I mean, I we are kind of sound. I mean, at least I am. I understand sound very well, and I would say that yeah, that something solid would send you back a more precise signal. Is something that's more permeable probably eats up part of that signal. Um, so it's denser than than magma is what you're saying. It's not liquid. It's something. Yeah, I don't, of, they again they don't know. I mean, there's no way to tell. They're, right. The deepest they've drilled, I think, was like 300 feet or something stupid. I don't look that up. Somebody's um, commented on our. Uh, I think it was the tidal forces one. I, I forget. Maybe it was the super volcano episode, but seven point six seven miles. Yeah, that's nothing, and that's Russia, right, or Siberia? Um, I forget. There's like a there was like a name of it. They had to abandon the, the operation. It's a Colin, or I yeah, think... that's pretty. That's 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 deep, but it ain't that deep. No, it's not deep at all. Not deep at all. So. See how far, or the est- the to the center of the uh, the center of the Earth. How far that is. So it's seven, we've gone right seven now. miles into the Earth. How far is the core, the center of the core? Distance to the center of the Earth. Come on, young Kevy. Six sixty-three seventy kilometers. How many? What is that? What, what are we doing with kilometer? Oh, okay. So it's six thirty. It's four thousand. It's four thousand miles. Oh yeah, center. Okay. That's a lot. So get out of here with your kilometers. <laughs> yeah, you had, we actually you, said switch to kilometers. You, you had a tough yelling. time. You had a tough time with the standard system. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we should switch to kilometers. What are we doing? We 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 just want to be so different than the rest of the world. Yeah. Yep. All right. So yeah, so we've 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 bored in seven, yeah, mil, seven miles, and there's four thousand miles to the center. Yeah, that's intense. It's nothing. So yeah, we we don't know. I love that. I lo- I'm looking at all these drawings right here. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's it's kind of what you thought dinosaurs looked like. You now literally this, have a bunch of little. You have a bunch of little pictures you drew in preschool in front of you yeah. right now of the Earth's uh-huh. core. It's just funny though how you get. Uh, it, it's just in your mind, like the look of the of the of the Earth and all the different areas of it. But how do they really know that? They're just guessing. Yeah, it's an educated it's, guess. It's to not. Agree. I mean, it's Again, not I'm not guessing. saying that this I mean, is they wrong. Have a, they have an idea, um, and I assume that they have different. Like again, they've used seismology and seismic activity. They've right, probably right. been able to scan some things. Um, but again, yeah, I mean, Chris 
has his master's in science and he or geology he was on there telling us that you know they don't know a lot of stuff so that's why you gotta keep chipping away and keep keep figuring it out um, that's why i brought up that the, the look of the dinosaurs because now they're saying that the t-rex might have might have had wings those yeah. little arms were more of like a wing uh something to hold a wing up which makes actually way more sense if you think about it yeah um okay so some crocodile ancestors may have walked on two legs uh, so fossilized tracks were found preserved in a South Korean rock formation. Uh, so the picture of these things is kind of what you would imagine. It literally looks like an alligator that kind of stood on its back two legs uh-huh. or a crocodile on its back two legs um, and was tilted forward, just hovering, you know, but more lengthwise. Right. Um, the tracks were dated to around 106 million years ago. The crocodilomorph uh tracks were roughly two to three meters long um and they said that there's a few other spots that they found these kinds of tracks where they now believe that this is possible that these uh ancestors of the crocodiles were walking on two legs or bipedally uh the one um what was it okay so yeah the bipedal uh, crocodilomorph that was responsible for a set of tracks found in 2012 not far from this newer find uh, they initially thought was a pterosaurus, like one of those flying ones, but they believe that that one walked on four, meaning I think it's front two, like wing things had arms yeah. or something, something like that. I think I've seen something like that on Jurassic Park too. I don't even know if it was real, but I assume that they did a little bit of homework for that movie. Yeah, yeah, maybe the first one. You think you don't think that the newer ones? They no, did? they might. They they probably have some scientists on there. They have unlimited amounts of money. I'm sure you could cough a couple millets and crack team of experts but it wouldn't that be scary to see that thing running after you yeah i mean okay so the, the newest <laughs> one they create some like brand new hybrid dinosaur i'm not talking about that but yeah. i'm talking about like the general ones that they have in the park where they're like oh blah blah mm-hmm. blah or whatever yeah i'm sure the real real names <laughs> but you bring up a good point about like not knowing what they look like precisely like you just imagine them to be these like reptilian style um creatures you know very scaly something but now like you're like you said and we know that the birds are an ancestor to or they've evolved from dinosaurs so yeah i mean who knows exactly what they looked like they could have been like these massive predators almost think of like a massive eagle or a hawk yeah that has like less wings but like walks around and just crushes yeah my friend has uh has uh chickens in her yard and she's she was like looking at him the other day and she was, she was telling me I could definitely see how these are almost like dinosaurs because, you know, chickens don't fly or anything. The dinosaur could have been, they could have had scales, but they could have had feathers over the scales. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've heard, we don't know. This is millions of years. We're talking here, folks. I've gotten in some interesting arguments with people's people over the years that some people think that they could have looked very different. You know, same obviously the bone structure, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe that's they, all that maybe is. They look, like there's, some, I've talked to some people. I think they're more mammalian looking. I don't agree with that at all. But I could definitely see something like a mix between like a reptile and like a bird of prey or something like that. Yeah. Um, roughly 231 million years ago, uh, Carnufex carolinensis, uh, aka the Carolina butcher may have roamed North Carolina 
it was a bipedal ancestor of the crocodile. So look up this. It's look a up a picture of this. Name for yeah, this thing. the 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 uh, Carolina butcher was like a bipedal, crazy looking um, dinosaur. Kind of looks like a crocodile a little bit, but a little bit more a mix between maybe like a crocodile and a T Rex. Yeah, here it is. <laughs> this thing's sweet. I would love to show everybody, but we don't want to get flagged here. No, I mean it depends on if it's some ABC of, News. Some of them can be shown. Some can't be. It just depends. Uh, well, should we give a little peek to these peeps? What's going no, on? No, no, no. Oh, come on. No. I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is I'll put all the links to all these articles, or at least in our since. There's different variations of these articles spread across different outlets. I'll put a version of each one of these articles underneath the video when we're done so people can go look into them more if they want. Um, but really, I'm just sucking the juice out of these uh, these things and giving you guys the juicy details. Yeah, we'll do all the work. Einstein's theory of relativ- uh, relativity holds up again. Um, so the strong equivalence principle states that any two objects in the same gravitational field will fall with the same acceleration regardless of their mass or composition. Uh, this was shown by Galileo when he dropped two spheres with different masses off the top of the uh, leaning tower of Pisa and both landed at the same time. Um, so this one... They're just showing that, uh, so what they did was these researchers at the University of Manchester uh, measured the movement of a white dwarf star and a pulsar, and researchers found that they orbit exactly the same, um, which was kind of a, um, they didn't know what to expect because uh, pulsars are so mass, like so large, um, that they thought that they it would act differently since it was so big. Uh, so that was kind of the twist um, when they use different uh, gravity models. But in reality, uh, it just goes back to Einstein's theory where, again, um, they they kind of were on the same track, you know. Dude was on point. What can we say? Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, too. So um, I think when you look at this stuff, there's pe- – there's not just people trying to like continue to prove his theories right, but there's also people every day trying to disprove them. I remember there's I think there was a documentary on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, but it's like uh, it was called something like "We Proved Einstein Wrong" or "Einstein Was Wrong" or something like that. I don't know what it was, but uh, and I don't even remember actually what the whole premise of the documentary was. I don't even remember watching the whole thing, so it might have just been. BS, but uh, I do remember thinking that like it's funny how science does that. You know, these people are constantly trying to one up each other or um, disprove each other. Um, I think some of it's probably just the scientific scientific method. People thinking they know better than somebody else, or using the scientific method to point out the fact that there's holes in other people's stuff or whatever. But at the same time, we all are human. We all have egos. We do have agendas whether we believe it or not there's cognitive and confirmation bias and all sorts of biases that we have um so i think that it's just interesting when you look at this that einstein has been this right for this long and we haven't seen another einstein really since i mean yeah there's been people that have made large contributions to 
the hard sciences and physics and different things, but you know. Yeah, but it's good to have people that are questioning and pushing because then you'll never go anywhere. So, but Einstein holds up again. Don't mess with Einstein. Yeah, I wonder if he was still alive today, if he would be still cranking. He'd be upset, my friend. <laughs> because he'd be upset. <laughs> he'd be upset by the vibrations. He'd be scratching his beard. I don't think he ever had a beard. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no <laughs> I was going to say, now, now you're putting something something onto this man. Yeah. Okay, so this one I took from our super volcano episode and slide only because this was an article that I added into that presentation or that episode. Uh, but I think it's super relevant to what we've been talking about, so I'm going to go over it again. Excuse me. Um, so uh, a hotspot under Yellowstone has migrated over time from southeast Oregon through Idaho to the northwest corner of Wyoming. And as we were talking with uh, Chris from Dabbler's Den on the Tidal Force episode, it might seem like it's moving towards that way, but what's really happening is the, the crust is actually moving the opposite way. So while the hotspot is staying still, the crusts are moving over that. So that's the path in which the crust is moving from northwest to um, southeast. Hmm. Or at least that part of it or whatever. Um, so Thomas Arnott, a geochemist at the University of Leicester, and his team used paleomagnetic analysis uh, because the iron that was ejected would have been liquid um, and would have settled and cooled towards the magnetic north. So this is in reference to two supervolcanic um, eruptions uh, that happened roughly, I think one of them was 8.9 million years ago and the other one was like 8.6 million years ago. And... Um, Let's see here. Yeah, McMullen Creek was a super eruption that was dated to 8.99 million years ago, and it covered over 4,600 square miles and uh, stretches what is now southern Idaho. Uh, it registered an 8.6 on the VEI index. If you remember our vol super volcano episode, the VEI is the Volcanic Explosivity Index, um, and 8.99 is literally the highest that, that the scale goes. So the McMullen Creek super eruption would have been the largest eruption that we've known we know of at this point. Yes, sir. Uh, the Gray's Landing super eruption, same southern Idaho, uh, was dated to 8.72 million years ago, and it covered 8,900 square miles uh, in southern Idaho and northern Nevada. It registered an 8.8 .8 on the VEI um, and is rated. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I got the, I'll, I'll fix this. So it's like 8.8 uh, on the VEI and is rated top five eruption of all time. The VEI only goes up to 8.9. So I got those confused. The Gray's Landing is actually is the big boy, the big boy, which is an 8.8, .8, which is 0.1 or two off from the top of being the VEI. I was looking at the 8.9 million years and thinking that that was the VEI, but the VEI on McMullen Creek was only 8.6, which is still massive. Um, Still one of the larger ones as well. Um, but yeah, Grease Landing would have been the largest super eruption, 8.8 .8 on the VEI. And um, some geologists agree with the findings and suggest that we still don't really know what the cause of mag uh, magnetic flare-ups, especially over hotspots. 
the U.S. Geological Survey geologist Michael Pollan said it would make sense that the Yellowstone hotspot would weaken as it migrates inward towards the thicker crust of the continent. Um, still, other scientists suggest that all this only makes sense if you look at the largest eruptions, um, even though there are other super colossal eruptions that are just as dangerous. So, um, I'm going to pull up a little picture. So this is that uh, this is the hotspot path. So you can see um, 16.1 is where it started, um, and slowly over time it uh, migrated or we migrated however you want to put it uh, all the way up that pattern through to northwest um, wyoming and you can see there at the bottom of idaho those those big spots there that's probably where all that was going down mm -hmm. 10 7 10 7. any questions no yeah, I think we. I want to go backpacking there. I was looking at a place. It's uh, it's called the Last Frontier in the Lower Forty Eight, mm. and it's like that's the name of the trail. It's called the. I can't remember the name of the trail, but like that's like the tagline. Like yeah, you're gonna see bear. You're gonna see. They say don't you have to go with at least four people, because grizzlies are out. Like that's the only place in, in the lower uh, United States where there's still grizzly. I guess. Maybe in Montana too, but yeah. that's the scary stuff, bro. I watched this this movie the other day. It was based on a true story, and uh, guy went out hiking with his girlfriend. Wanted to take her to a his secret spot when he went. He used to go there as a kid, and then he went, and they got fully lost, and <laughs> he was killed by the bear. She actually survived. Really? Yeah, like she, like he got mauled up by this thing, and she had to fight, like hike her way out of it. Based on a true story, folks. Mm. Wrong turn seven. Grizzly. Yeah, edition. Grizzly Adams. All right. But a beautiful state. I would love to go there. Yeah. I haven't been there yet. And we'll, we'll be doing a part two on the super volcano, probably part three at some point. But um, part two will probably be on all the other super volcanoes because obviously part one we focused on Yellowstone Cal uh, Caldera, right. Caldera, and... Uh, Lake Toba. So, will the next one will focus on all the other ones that are the lesser known ones. Uh, why is the universe's expansion speeding up? One of the main anomalies cosmologists experience is how fast the universe is actually expanding versus how fast they predict it to expand using the Hubble constant. Um, the Hubble constant, you ask? Yeah, I do. <laughs> the Hubble constant is the measurements of radiation emitted shortly after the Big Bang. So if you remember, we had Brian Keating on a long time ago. But oh, yeah. uh, um, I think that was part of what their experiments were. We're, we're using the, the cosmic radio background or cosmic uh, microwave background to look for ripples in space-time uh, that are from the Big Bang to kind of measure, or they're looking for like gravitational waves, I think is what they were doing. Um, but yeah, again, this is one of those things where when they think they've got it, they don't have it because there's so many different anomalies. And uh, the discrepancy is known as the Hubble tension. So they have all these models where they can figure out certain things using mathematics in, in different uh different things but then there's certain things where 
even when they try and predict something, they can't, and it's an anomaly based on what we know so far. Um, and I think with this is an interesting one because this involves obviously what's going on. You know, if, if our universe is constant flux, there might be no way to understand, you know, what they're trying to figure out, which would be how fast is it, exp- or what what's the speed of the expansion? Yeah. Maybe it doesn't follow a set of rules. I guess that would maybe be an option. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm not a. Well, let's keep dumping billions into this thing, and we'll see what <laughs> we'll see what squirts out. I don't think. I think if they did, they might get some answers. I don't think they're dumping billions into this. No, thing. I know. I'm kidding. Um, some astrophysicists think that there is no discrepancy and that it is human error or miscalculation. But if this, but if there is, this means that scientists are missing or there's something missing from the current model of our universe. So mm. it could go two ways. You could say maybe the people doing the, te- the, the research or the uh, calculations had some sort of an issue or something, or maybe they just left something out. But I don't know why. Yeah, there's something missing. How it's called you... dark matter, <laughs> man. We have no clue what this stuff is. But how could you publish something and have people review it if, <laughs> They're just going to look at it and be like, this is miscalculate. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Now you're on to something, my friend. Um, so, and then Avi Loeb, who we've talked about before when the Amuamua, um, the uh, asteroid that came from outside of our solar yep, system. Yep. A weird looking thing. And he was the one that theorized that or hypothesized that maybe one of these, th- or even speculation, I guess you would consider that one of these things could be. Um, some sort of extraterrestrial satellite or something like that. Um, so Avi Loeb of Harvard and two collaborators hypothesize a form of dark matter that decays into lighter particle and massless particles are called dark photons. Uh, the more that dark matter or the more that dark matter decays over time, its gravitational pull would have lessened and the expansion of the universe would have sped up uh relieving the uh, the Hubble tension. So there's a few the thing was too long. So again, I'll put these articles down below the video afterwards for people if they want to look more into this. But the one article, there's a few different ways where they think that they can fix that tension or the issue that they're but nobody's proven anything yet. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll come back to that. Yeah. Well, that's what science is, isn't it? It's, trial, it's right until it's wrong. Trial and error. Yeah. Okay, so this article talks about dark matter search detects unexplained signal. Um, the scientists working on the Xenon 1T experiment detected more activity than they were expecting while searching for dark matter. The extra unexplained activity or events could be proof of hypothesized particles called axioms. Uh there are two other possible or two other possible explanations that require physics to explain. Um, our universe is made up of roughly eighty-five percent dark matter, but we can, but we still don't know what it is. I mean, I think th- we know what four percent of the universe is made up, and then you've got the uh, dark energy as a portion of that, and then the remaining portions, eighty-five percent, which is dark matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, dark matter does not emit or reflect detectable light. So that's, you know. And then I think Vera Rubin was the first person to 
see it or discover it. And I think, I don't know if it's true or not, but there was some people speculating that maybe this stuff is what propels the spiral galaxies. You know, like you look at a spiral galaxy, it's the dark stuff in between those like arms coming off. Uh huh. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Maybe I misread that, but I thought that that's what the case was. Uh, so the ex- what's going on at CERN when they're colliding all this stuff? Is that are they coming up with anything or? What do you mean? Because the, the, they're studying, they're trying to figure out what what dark matter is, right? I I mean I I think they're trying to figure out what a lot of things. I don't think they're <laughs> yeah, specifically. I don't think they're specifically like let's figure out dark matter. Or Here's a super collider. I don't think that that's right. the case. Well, no, they're just trying to they're trying to figure out the 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 per the, the particles. Regardless yeah, of yeah. I mean, they've discovered lots of stuff, but yeah, I mean, there's some people that hate that. I don't know why, but because they think they're messing with the yeah, uh, they think they're like busting open portals of space time, and <laughs> we're in a weird. What's that? What's the thing that? that oh, the Mandela. Effect? Yeah, that's the dumbest yeah. thing ever. It's just people. No, that's not. It's right. it's flawed memory, is what it is. It's flawed memory. Right. Yeah. Well, I would rather I'd put my. I'd bet on the, the the human making the mistake rather than documentation making yeah, the mistake. Dude, the humans have been proven over You and couldn't over even tell me the last five articles we just talked about in this episode. I guarantee it. True. <laughs> and I'm not trying to say it to challenge you. I'm just trying to prove a point about the human mind. Well, it depends on what like makes its way into like pop culture. If if Luke, I am your father, made it into pop culture instead of uh, I am your father or whatever he says, the real thing he says, then that's what people are going to pick up on more because they're gonna here's what it is some all some dumbass has to do in like a movie in the 80s is say luke i am your father right yeah and then all of a sudden it gets perpetuated and then people are quoting a movie line from a different movie that's talking about that movie but you Mm -hmm. only focus like what you're saying on that pop the pop culture aspect of it yeah because i remember i did watch that and i go oh he doesn't even say that yeah that's that's one in particular that i remember people get crazy with that too it's like no stop just stop People like to look for mysteries, and I, no, I get I, that. I'm all about mysteries. You know I am, but come on. It was fun for a week. Uh, researchers learn more about solar flares. So plasma astrophysicist from KU Leuven, I think that's in Belgium, uh, has created the first self-consistent uh, simulation of the natural processes that happen during a solar flare. Uh, the team used Flemish supercomputers and a new combination of physical models. Uh, a solar flare is a massive explosion that happens on the surface of the sun. Uh, the energy released is equivalent to a trillion atomic bombs. Uh, very large sup- or very large solar flares can affect communications and electronics on Earth. Um, they they have an effect on our. Um, um, our magnetic fields. Well, yeah, no, magnetic fields. Um, and I think there's the Carrington event. Look up the Carrington event. C-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. Of 1859? Yeah. It was a ge- geometric storm. Yeah. So those can happen. I mean, we could get our stuff knocked out by some supermassive flare. Um, That's funny that you mentioned that. I just watched a movie called Knowing with Nicolas Cage, and it's all about this <laughs> flare coming. It's weird how, that you're that you're bringing this stuff how, up. How was it though? How was it, the movie? It wasn't very good, folks. I'm not <laughs> recommending this movie. It's interesting to a degree, and it's the ending's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, 
it's all about a solar flare and he goes he's like a professor at MIT and so yeah Nick Cage is no professor at MIT <laughs> I'm gonna have to call you out on that so you, so you, there's so the Carrington event um, also um, you look at like ancient times you have other theories too you have like um, Dr. Robert Schock's solar uh, solar induced dark age or Sita, mm-hmm. um, where he talks about also his theory with the younger dry stuff, it wasn't an impact, but it was actually one of these large plasma events or these solar flare events that completely, you know, knocked stuff out of, out of and like, uh, if have you heard, did you ever see that interview that he did with Rogan? That kind of where, he, where he's talking about like how like literally there would be like lightning raining from the sky like you, you'd have to get into cave systems or something to avoid the, yeah. if there was one of these massive massive solar flare events so it wouldn't like just engulf the flame like engulf the whole uh, planet in the flame like a nuclear bomb it would just be different what do you mean the flame no the solar flare happens on the surface even if there was a massive one it's it wouldn't reach us it's not a, it's not the actual flare, I don't think. It's like the energy that comes off of it yeah. that, that disrupts okay, that our magnetic field. That, so uh, they can also be very beautiful. So magnetic or the uh, solar flares, um, they create basically the northern lights. Yeah, an aurora. Yep. Yeah, they affect our magnetic field. Um, and they also convert energy from magnetic fields into heat. So, So me being a photographer, am I hoping for a flare? What's going on here? Well, are you into... Um, astrophotography. Yeah, I love that aurora. If I could see it, I saw it once in Lexington, Michigan, but it wasn't very colorful. It's weird the the aurora borealis will like scoop down into into because I know if you go up to like Traverse City, you can see it. You can see it up there pretty good. Yeah, but Lexington's only it's like an hour, two hours outside of Detroit, so it's pretty close to a big city. But I did see it. It was a blue shimmer in the sky. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I've never seen them. I hope one day I can, but have not I would love to go to Iceland and do some some stuff. Some, some, uh, yeah, stuff. I know there's a lot of people on Instagram from Iceland that run those like astrophotography accounts where it's all just like northern lights yeah, and incredible. stuff. Finland, Iceland, all up there. That's where you get all that. But now you have to even question because everybody's using Photoshop and stuff. It's like, are you just taking a picture of a really nice landscape and then taking the astro picture separately and then melding them two so together? So you think that they're like Photoshopping the sky onto a better landscape? Well, a lot of the things that they do, you have to because of the exposure. But again, like if you're sitting there with your camera and you expose and you shoot the mountain and the lake and then the next shot you expose for the Milky Way, I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with people shooting like Las Vegas and then all of a sudden they're putting the sky from <laughs> yeah. from Iceland up there you yeah, know what I'm saying yeah, like yeah. that's that's I, I'm more of a natch I like to shoot what I see with my eye but at the same time I've put in like a little bit like I made a uh, like a like clouds a little cleaner and things like that but yeah I don't know I mean there's a level you have to draw there yeah that picture you took of the moon was pretty cool the other day yes yeah that was lucky because it was just coming up so a lot of the times when you shoot the moon if you want to get the detail in the moon, you have to expose just for the moon, and then usually all the landscape is in black. Because if you expose for the landscape, so then how then do you the make it? So like, then you go. It's like a, what? You go after. You do it afterwards. You. I have done it. I've done two pictures. Like what, you sit in the same perfect spot, take two pictures, and then the where the what, moon is in Lightroom or well. something. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean I don't again that's that's pretty interesting, but I. I 
I would I would hope that there's some way to do that though where you don't need to do that. Like maybe people are just taking sick pictures. At least that's what I want to believe. But right. Well, I'm sure they are. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying like a lot of these, like this one dude's picture because I follow a lot of the stuff from Detroit, like Belle Isle. It's Belle Isle, like these trees, and then in the background it's like an insane looking galaxy. Now that yeah. wasn't shot there, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But again, then you have to take into consideration what's the artistic like i respect artists that take pictures and you know manipulate them and use the uh, the the computer as their medium for painting essentially right so i don't know but i'm also more of a purist when i because like i like to go backpacking and stuff and it's not like i'm putting mountains behind me i'm actually at these places so i don't know there's a some people are very purists and they don't like to edit stuff some people like to go bonkers and that can be cool too but you are right though, like Instagram, like people, it, if there's, if you're going to doctor stuff up, it's usually on there because people want to, you know, with even like the Instagram algorithm now, like it's got to be juicy for people to click on this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if everybody, anyone wants to follow me on there, I'm at Maurice underscore Hogan, but I try and put up a late, like a nice looking picture and then a little instru- uh, inspiration. Yeah, he, he takes nice pictures of the sky he takes you know artistic photos sick nug photos you know you name it and can't take the the cannabis photos anymore though because they they don't want drugs on there yeah yep that sounds about right even though it's legal it's yeah but it's not yeah i don't know i mean that's the that's the world we live in it's legal but it's not legal right yeah well I mean, yeah, but give him a follow on Instagram. He does take some cool. I pop my name up in the uh, chat over in the corner. Not Ooh. trying to shamelessly plug myself, but He's it, it's, it's going to be all connected. We're yep. going to go on a little Maurice run here tomorrow night. <laughs> tomorrow night we have uh, David Matheson on. We're going to be talking about star myths from around the world. Um, so Sweet. tune in tomorrow night at I think uh, what did we say? So it's like uh, eleven p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about star myths and correlating the stars to uh, mythology. And we're also going to be having a um, Arthur back on to, for part two of the Norse mythology as well. Which involves some of the stars too. And I actually like that topic a lot because everybody's going up North and it's a great time to do stargazing. Me and Michael do it every year up in Manton, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, it's pretty crisp up there. I mean, who knows what's going to happen this year with everything going on. But Yeah, it's wild. It's nice to get up there. You can see literally stars from horizon to horizon, and you have uh, you can see the satellites pretty clearly just moving around. Yeah, they actually have these parks called blackout parks. They're specifically designed for night landscape photography. There's one up in uh, on Lake Huron, and then there's a couple up in Traverse City area. I'm really looking forward to checking one of those out, but that would be where you could see some some Borealis, maybe the Traverse City one. Borealis, more like Snorealis. Like <laughs> You're Are really... those steamed clams? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think that uh, when you look at all these articles, I have one thought on all this, like one general overarching thought which is that i like reading these articles and i like you know retweeting them and different things but then at the end of the day 
there a lot of them are just speculation even the ones the research that they've re- analyzed you know like that one they did 7000 seismographs uh to figure out what that those uh dense hot spots are out in between the the core and the mantle and they have an idea but they don't know you know it's stuff like that so um again i think that that's what makes science interesting and i think that we need to hear less from the scientists that pretend like they know everything and more from the scientists that are philosophers as well that understand that um while some of these things are important that it's just another step in a direction yeah a lot of the doctors and scientists we have on this channel seem to be pretty open-minded i like to uh get that kind of information out into the world, that kind of thought pattern. Uh-huh. So, but that's it. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, get in here before we wrap it up? No, sir. Good stuff. We should probably start doing these once a month at least, but yeah. I'll try and I'll try and find that article about the guy in yeah, Antarctica. If you, want to start, if you see any that. articles too, feel free to send them my way, and that goes for you listeners too. If you find some cool scientific article or something you want us to talk about or uh, bring up on the podcast, shoot me an email. Go to our website, uh, mindescapepodcast.com, and go under contact and send me an email. For sure. And if you like what we're doing with these uh not random, but just some of the scientific uh, research and some of the some of the current event stuff going on in the in the science community. Leave us a little comment. Let us know you like that stuff, and we'll do more of them for sure. Absolutely. And we're at a point now where you know, obviously, we're going to keep growing, keep growing. You know, we're at a nice, slow, steady pace here. But anytime you you know, if you know somebody that likes podcasts, you know, recommend us. You know, we we come from that culture. We're big into you know. Uh, fish and the Grateful Dead and that's how those people got huge was just word of mouth and people liked what they were doing so same thing goes for us if you like what we're doing just tell people about it we appreciate it and uh, subscribe to our channel uh, check out mindescapepodcast.com we have everything on there and again if you want to join our Patreon for $2 a month you'll get exclusive content and we will be coming out with some merch some shirts and stuff uh, so yeah we appreciate it guys thanks for listening Beautiful. We love everybody, guys, gals, and everybody. Please listen, and uh, we'll catch you tomorrow night with David Matheson. Peace. Bye-bye.